Yeah, not to give you guys a time pressure, but oh, okay. every no, yeah. every single second that we're recording, I'm not watching Lost. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been transported back to 2004 and I'm watching Lost for the first time. <laughs> to be fair, I've never watched Lost either. Is and it it's good? amazing. <laughs> the editor side of me is like, Tom, you got to have like a vocal reaction. And then you know, the, 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 my soul, my human soul is just said, I can't, I, I can't, can't give you anything. I love it. I, it's well, really I, good. I do understand the time pressure because uh, what's the, the rate on the time machine to 2004 is like nuts <laughs> per minute. Yeah, it's so, so like, expensive, I totally, get, I totally got you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Let's Learn Everything, the show where we learn about anything and everything interesting. This episode, as always, we are going to be covering one big science topic. We're going to be asking and answering a science question and dipping our toes into a little miscellaneous topic. My name is Caroline and this episode... I was doing visualizations just for us. In case we don't know what what big, medium and small is. Not everything has to be for the listeners. Sometimes I do stuff just for you guys. That's why I'm naked. Also, famously, I feel like we we never follow a big, medium, small. I know, but I was just having fun with it. I love it. Maybe we should. No, (laughs) it's not going to (laughs) work. My name is Caroline and this episode's big topic is going to be the strange world of studying gender. Oh Oh my gosh. Okay, interesting. This is very oh, this is boy. a very Caroline topic. It's, it's a very exciting. Caroline yeah. topic. It's it's a beefy one. Uh, we'll see how much we get through today, but it should be really fun to go through. My name is Tom and today's question is why do we keep discovering water on Mars? Ah. <laughs> why why do I feel like I've heard we have and haven't discovered water every other year for the past That's 20 such years? That's a good point. It feels like oh, every yeah. um every time we have a like first gay character in a Disney or Pixar film, you know? Caroline I have that written down. That's the first line of the script. I swear to God, that was the first line of the script. Worst part, worst part is also I didn't come up with it. A friend came up with it. And so I'm I'm wow. Yeah. No. I want you to still say say still say the yeah. joke though. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. As, as if, as if, and then you as guys have to, happened, yeah. Cool. yeah. Good, 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 good. My name is Ella, and today's miscellaneous topic is pigeons. <gasps> oh. What? <laughs> I was about to say, oh hell yeah. So this is so this is a misc topic though. This isn't Ooh. a a main or a question. This isn't why pigeons. Why, pi- but it might why be. pigeons? <laughs> the reason it's not science topic is because I don't really go into like any huge depth on anything. I'm just like, I love pigeons. <laughs> That's the exact energy I want from that, to be honest. <laughs> for for context, also, Ella was was hyping up her misc and so i don't know what i thought it might have been maybe like a niche internet thing uh but for it to be pigeons is makes sense but is surprising so i am very excited for this me too i am so happy about this oh so i really wanted to do an episode on gender in a similar way that i did for sexuality yes that was what i was hoping for from this topic um gender research is so so all over the place that it made it kind of hard to pull something 
like that together. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine this is a reasonably new field. Yeah, 100%. And just like trying to figure out how to study gender in the world of science is really, really difficult so what this topic has become is like a collection of slightly strange gender studies throughout history basically oh hell yeah covering a bit of nature a little bit of nurture from like horrific to kind of silly ain't that the caroline way isn't that how i do it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah trying to define gender let alone study it is a mess that's what i really really want to highlight in this topic today so first off let's talk about sex can y'all yeah, define <laughs> Yeah, <sex>? I do it. <laughs> we all believe you, Tom. I do it and I have one. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's let's hear some sex definitions from you two. Um, when a man and a woman... I'm sorry, <laughs> it was the easy joke. It was the easy joke. I let you take it, Ella. Uh, cro- chromosomes, I guess. Chromosomes. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, that would be my Maybe. kind of... Oh, sec- sec- secondary sex characteristics. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I do also know that there are uh, intersex folks, and so it is less of a, it's more of a bimodal distribution than it is necessarily a binary. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. Absolutely. Um, Sorry, and, and by bimodal distribution, uh, I mean a graph that has like two bumps, two big peaks, but also some in-between that people can exist in. Yeah, absolutely. So... The Canadian Institute of Health Research says sex refers to a set of biological attributes in humans and animals. It is primarily associated with physical and physiological features, including chromosomes, gene expression, hormone levels and function, Mm -hmm. and reproductive slash sexual anatomy. So Uh right off the bat, it's no like one thing defining what sex is defining sex isn't always super easy lots of people think like they go down like sexual anatomy has a penis has a vagina or down chromosome roots xx or xy but those aren't always reliable indicators one in every 20 to thirty thousand people born as a male have xx chromosomes no fucking way one in how many one in 20 to thirty thousand. is that that's more than i would think yeah Yeah. it is more than you would think um ella i think you're about to ask about kleinfelter i was about to ask about kleinfelter's no that's an extra x chromosome yeah so that's xxy and one in every 650 males have kleinfelter's that's pretty it's not common but it's not super rare it's very like it's relatively very common. Considering how many people there are. <laughs> I think it's the equivalent of like the same amount of people who are... Oh no, I'm mixing that up. I know intersex yeah, is the same amount of people who are ginger. Which is what? 3%. 3% of the population. So that's still a lot of people. That's really common. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's wild, yeah. It is also, when you were listing the definition of like what sex is, it it also reminds me of when we were like defining what a tree is, where it's like, these things probably sometimes not any one of them specifically and also sometimes (laughs) none, where it's one of those things. So it's very easy to apply that same like 
no such thing as a fish lens to this yeah, also a little, a little bit. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just a listing off a, f- a few others. There's Swire syndrome, which is people born female but actually having XY chromosomes. There's Ooh. Turner syndrome, so having only one X chromosome. There's lots and lots of different things. And that's not even scratching the surface of hormonal differences, differences in genitalia, um, being intersex, etc. So... Right off the bat, there's no one thing that determines sex. Determining sex can be hard. This is, I don't know, this is the first time I've had this thought. There's something so cool that, because, you know, when we, we grow up, we hear the rule. It's like X, Y, X, yeah, X. Yeah, uh-huh, absolutely. And so to, to know that there are so many full entire human beings yeah. that are j- just not that and, and, and they're just they're just living their lives and what you just said tom applies to so many groups of people but if you're talking just about chromosomal abnormalities like so many people have these and just don't even realize it it doesn't impact them Great point. at all i don't know my chrome i haven't looked at my chromosomes i've not tested my chromosomes yeah yeah people with swire syndrome can get pregnant and have children which is yeah. that even though they are xy so wow can I tell you, can I be completely honest? I said that bimodal distribution because I like saw that on a TikTok, but I, now I feel like I like know it. Now I'm like, oh, actually, there, I, now I know all the specific ways that you can be in between. Yeah, um, yeah, so, yeah. Thank you. It's it's super interesting. Um, and I think anybody who thinks it's as simple as looking in someone's pants when talking about sex is just misguided at best. Yeah. Please don't do that. Don't do that. And of course, that's just talking about humans as well. But I digress because, of course, we know that sex and gender are different. We know yeah. that now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, we know it, but people on Twitter we, don't know we it. We know it, yeah. <laughs> Can we get a definition of gender from you two? <laughs> no, you cannot get a definition of gender from me because I'm not answering that question, what is a woman? That's fucking toxic-ass <laughs> question. I'm sure there is actually a definition of gender that's kind of used academically, but I, I don't know it. Mm, mm. And I'm not going to guess. What do you think, Tom? <laughs> the way in which a person exists in a society of other people and the uh you're doing so great sweetie so it, so it makes your body think that you're pregnant <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had a dream where you have you, you ever when you uh, when, when, you, when you, you you society you social norms and you you, you, you express <laughs> your uh, gender identity when yeah, separate from from sex and you do anything <laughs> that was that was beautiful I, wow i, I, I okay. hate this show so much <laughs> <laughs> okay let's get into it so the world health organization says that gender refers to the characteristics of women men girls and boys that are socially constructed this includes norms behaviors and roles associated with being a man woman boy or girl as well as relationships with each other now what that tells us is that there are four genders, uh, women, men, girls, and boys. And everybody boys and girls. fits into those four categories, right? Four um, genders, <laughs> girls and boys. <laughs> yeah. I'm so curious that they said it like that. Yeah, um, the phrasing of that is so... It's funny that they include, you know, that distinction, women, men, girls, and boys, but then 
also express that it is socially constructed. So therefore, yeah. leave no, but leave no room for interpretation that those are the only things. To leave no wriggle room. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, no, yeah, that's fucked, actually, uh-huh. yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. I, I'm looking on their website, and, and the next line says, as a social construct, gender varies from society to society and can change over time. Like, like they're literally agreeing that, like, gender is fluid. But but you can't be. You must be man, boy, woman, girl. But you must be in these categories. Otherwise, it doesn't count. It's such a strange... Like, I was reading it, and, like, when you're on the Who page for gender, right at the bottom, there's something talking about people that don't fall within those categories. Um, but it's not, like, the first thing they talk about or the tenth thing they talk about. It is right down right. there. I mean, it's probably a definition that was like designed by committee where it probably yeah. at first was different and then people were like, I don't know, let's throw boys and girls in there. Who the fuck? I don't yeah, know. definitely. Maybe giving them the benefit of the doubt, we can say that this might change with time as consensus changes. But the who who is is a global organization and a lot of the globe is not particularly pro- progressive uh, on this topic. They have to deal with the globe's opinion on this one. Totally. And mm. to be fair, like other sources cover this even the wikipedia page is like much more vague and much more open it just says gender includes the social psychological cultural and behavioral aspects of being a man woman or other gender identity which i think sums it up pretty Mm -hmm. nicely yeah The, the social psychological cultural and behavioral aspects okay okay which is different than sex. Obviously, we now know that gender and sex are different. However, this wasn't always the case. In Western cultures, especially, the distinction between sex and gender is a very recent realisation. I actually have a little bit of info about where the word gender came from in general. It first emerged in the 1300s, and it was used simply to mean kind, sort, class, or a kind of person or things sharing certain traits. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. The use of the word was never massively popular, but it was used in like a grammatical sense as well for a while. So, and we still use it in that way. So, talking about gendered language, that version of the word gender existed before it was used to describe gender as in being a man, woman, or other. Mm -hmm. Mm. But its use was massively declining up until when we first started using it to mean what I've just said. So, when do you think? We started using the word gender in the way that we might know it now. What do I'm you think? That is so interesting. The 1960s. Okay. I'll guess mid 1800s. Oh, Tom, you're a little bit early. So, an article published in 1945. That's pretty close. In the American Journal of Psychology. Uh, it was written by a man named Isaac Madison Bentley. And it's one of the earliest examples of the term gender being used, defined as the socialized observation of sex. Yeah. I remember talking to someone about this or reading about it. A lot of this came with like uh, newer feminism. You know, a lot of this discussion around gender. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk about that briefly in a, uh, briefly in a second. But yeah, it did start emerging, like being much more popularized along with. But and, but and this this definition is tied to sex. Very heavily tied. So it's just the socialized observation of sex. It's not talking about them being separate. Interesting. Um, but it's closer to what it had been in the past basically yeah this paper didn't popularize the term gender it wasn't being used particularly in in scientific literature until the 1950s the person who helped popularize this 
is somebody who I would refer to as infamous at this point. It's somebody called John Money. Have either of you heard of John <clears throat> Money before? No. No. <gasps> the inventor of money. Of course we all know him. <laughs> uh, I wish that was the first time I'd heard that joke being made about this person, Tom, but it's... Sorry. <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We've got him apologising for jokes now. No, Tom. Don't apologise. No, it doesn't make... <laughs> So the term gender identity is often misattributed to John Money. He wasn't the one who created the term gender identity. He came up with the term gender role, which he coined in 1955. Mm. His definition was that gender roles are used to signify all those things that a person says or does to disclose himself or herself as having the status of boy, man, girl or woman oh my god what is this boy obsessed. man girl They're or woman thing boy, man, girl. <laughs> goes on to say respectively it includes but is not restricted to sexuality wait what oh but because of course homosexuality wasn't a thing so you were no, you were just a woman who liked men or a man who liked women that that's, was that's that was a gender, gender role is, oh is, yeah. oh, oh. Yeah. interesting um yeah <laughs> really interesting choice to put sexuality into the definition of gender there it's like that's not gonna last buddy yeah <laughs> that's literally not gonna hold up. <laughs> yeah. um but essentially dr money coined this term to make a distinction between behaviours related to someone's biological sex and those related to social practices. Got it. And individual like gender identity. He didn't necessarily okay. see them as not being linked, but he needed a way to explain some of the research he was doing. So he was doing a lot of research in intersex people. Okay. Mm. Uh, so he needed a way to explain, essentially, why intersex people might behave as a man or a woman, even if their sex is ambiguous. So that's why he came up with this term. Tom, you were going to say something. I was just going to say this is so interesting to, you know, e even though the definitions aren't perfect and, and you've alluded to the fact that this guy's probably going to do some bad science, but it's it's still interesting to see people at the time coming to the realization right, that yeah. like in the same way we discover anything else in science people or especially in psychology for people to be like wait a second this and this are there's it's easier to talk about this if yeah. i have a separate word for this because something is different is happening here besides sex mm. and like when you think about how this research started it makes sense for it to have started with a group of people whose sex is ambiguous but they still conform to society's gender roles Mm. You know, like, I think that makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of this research was pretty revolutionary. The term gender identity was first coined in 1963 by two people, Stoller and Greenson. It's once again suggested that gender identity is determined by sex. So Greenson says something along the lines of gender identity refers to one's sense of being a member of a particular sex and it's expressed clinically in the awareness of being a man or male in distinction to being a woman or female. So mm -hmm. people's awareness of if they're a man or a woman. Again, determined by sex. But he also wrote extensively about the influence of nurture, ideas that would be built upon in the following decades, especially by Dr. John Money. As Ella said earlier, it's also really important to mention the role of feminism on the increased use of the term gender. Gender was often being used on its own rather than saying gender identity or gender role. People started using the term gender, especially feminist social scientists in the 1970s who massively popularised the idea that sex and gender are separate. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll. So yeah, 
Amazing stuff, right? So that was that was a little bit about the history of it. That's where those terms came from. By the 1960s, John Money was more heavily suggesting the idea that gender is indeed a social construct, something that's malleable. Something so malleable, in fact, that if you raised a child from an early enough age <gasps> to be the opposite gender to the gender they were assigned at birth... Is he going to do this? They would... Oh, my God. <laughs> they would adapt <laughs> and happily live that life. But of course... How how do you, how do you test that hypothesis? No, he did it. Like raise a child. Obviously, I mean it's fine raising a child uh, without gender. I think, but like to forcibly yeah. raise a child to be a gender, and is well, it's what people do every day. But still, there's something weird about going. There's something so <laughs> yeah. strange, especially I think in the 1960s. Like we know what we know now. It, the problem with this isn't the idea of like raising a child one gender or another or like gender neutral. It's the it's the idea of conducting a psychology experiment on a child in the 60s, which has famously never gone well. Right? Like like the, the, there's a difference between letting your child express themselves how they want and letting someone force an experiment on a child. And this leads us on to probably one of Money's most infamous studies, which is the David Raymer case. Does that ring any bells to either of you? No. Oh, interesting. So this is really, really famous. Um, so this is how this case study goes. So there's a set of twin boys born in 1965. Uh, twin studies were so fucked up in the like 60s yeah. and 70s. They were like splitting them up all over the place. So these two twins were never born with the intention of going into a twin study. What happened was for medical reasons, they had to undergo circumcisions, basically. And for one child, the circumcision went wrong and they ended up not having enough of a functioning penis. This was when the children were about six months old. The parents of the child were very like, what on earth do we do? Really, really horrified by what had happened. So they went to Dr. Money asking for advice and Dr. Money suggested raising the child as a girl under the instruction of Dr. Money and including having a vagina constructed for the child. So by the time the child was 22 months old, they had surgery to create a vagina, basically. Mm. Dr. Money then studied the twins, and this included meeting the twins yearly to do research on them. I'm not going to go too, too much into what happened during that because it's pretty heavy, but basically there is a lot of allegations of abuse happening in these research sessions as well, which Fuck. is... But so this happened. The children were monitored yearly by Dr. Money up until I think it was around the age of 15 when Dr. Money declared it a success. This girl was still living as a girl. Nobody had flagged any issues with it. All was good. And Dr. Money then used this case study to justify gender reassignment surgery on intersex children for decades. Oof. Yeah. Turns out that it didn't go as well as Dr. Money had thought it had. So the boy who was raised as a girl found out that he was born a boy at aged 15, mm -hmm. changed his name to David Raymer, and then lived as a boy slash man after that. Okay. Both of the twins were then massively impacted by what had happened to them during their childhood. Both of the twins died before they were 40, I think. So like mm. had massive implications on their lives. Oh man. And like this this feels really really far away because they were born in 1965. All of this came out in the 90s and there's a clip of David Raymer being interviewed by Oprah, which is just like Wow. Yeah, it's really wow. really recent. Yeah, essentially Dr. Money would go on to accuse the 
Raymer parents of exaggerating how well young David was coping being raised as a girl. Raymer himself spoke about how absolutely an awful time he had growing up. None of this was taken into account in the study period. Either David was ignored or uh, was dismissed whenever he was raising like issues with how he was being raised. And by the time this story broke in the 1990s, Money's work was largely discredited, basically. Can I say... There was a moment that it clicked for me because I think for a, for a while, you know, we were we were kind of like I was trying to find what was icky about this because on the yeah. you know we know that changing your gender has helped a lot of people feel more like themselves and has Im- improved their lives. But the, the the moment it clicked for me was when you said the name David, and I was like, because because before it's like you know two twins, one boy, and blah yeah. blah blah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, oh, this is an objective study that proves the relationship between gender and sex. The moment you said David, I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh this, this is one person. This is this is not not just this is one person and also one horrible researcher. One fucking person's life should not then determine public policy on how this should happen the moment you said david i'm like that's just david man like you can't you can't then say because we did this one study on david therefore every single person who is intersex should follow this procedure or that procedure Uh or that this says anything about gender i was just about to say that this is terrible science a single gay study should determine policy Insane. Sample size, David. (laughs) Sample size is an ongoing issue in gender studies, but I think in this one especially... I mean, that's been a huge problem for... It's still going on, right? That that intersex people are essentially... It's still going on, yeah. Yeah. Before they even understand what what intersex is, are Mm. made to choose a gender, and that often has really serious repercussions on their mental health later down the line because they... It's not so simple as being one or the other other um, air quotations that yeah it's it's getting better but i mean we know what the climate is like at the moment it is still really really difficult for people so yeah so that's like the icky study we've got past it now great um and obviously money's work was largely discredited let's move on to another study which it's again it just has such weird vibes going on with it but it's from the person who i mentioned earlier stoller who's one of the people who helped coin the term gender identity mm-hmm. he has his fair share of theories about gender in cis people he also has his fair share of theories about trans people as well so in 1975 he suggested that people who were assigned male at birth, AMAB, but whose gender identity or expression did not match that assumption, so people who were trans or not conforming to gender roles of AMAB mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. at the time, uh, <laughs> Stoller believed that these people often have, and I'm quoting here, pretty faces with fine hair, a lovely complexions, graceful movements, and especially... Big piercing eyes. Wow, what weird yeah. is so the, weird. What so, the fuck? That essentially, sounds, it just it just kept going. <laughs> so what Stoller's idea was that society was treating these individuals more like girls because of their characteristics, and therefore because of this experience, start to identify oh as female. Oh my god. Please. Right. Right. Do you think is... do you ever think that any of these kind of early gender researchers thought we should talk to some of these people who have <laughs> gen- that's gender identity crises? Why would you why would you want to do that? We... Why would... no, 
that's, that's so silly of you that to is another Ella. great point is that all <laughs> yeah, of these voices really have not is, been <laughs> uh, so i guess i've got to ask like you've heard the theory how do you test that theory what do you think you take a cold shower and you realize you're being a weirdo and then you go <laughs> fucking become a gardener or something i genuinely have I don't think my mind is adult enough to consider how you would. Test yeah, that. I really, I'm, yeah. I'm having, I'm struggling so fucking hard to to stay in this context. It's so the st the study is a bit weird. So Stoller didn't try to study it too too much at the time, at least like as far as I could find, there were no real case studies. But in the 1990s, people did try to research more into this theory. So researchers recruited 17. AMAB people assigned male at birth with mm -hmm. gender identity disorder is what it was referred to as the time. We now know that as gender dysphoria. So 17 AMAB people with gender dysphoria, 17 AMAB people without gender dysphoria, all around the age of eight. So quite young participants in this. So the researchers took headshots of these children and showed them to 36 college students. The students were then asked to what rate is the youngsters. Oh. Stop. Stop it. They had to rate what? the children's physical appearance what? I'm so on a scale of attractive, <laughs> handsome, uh, and beautiful. What? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I thought the weirdest was gone, but it is really, really weird. Imagine I'm this. Um, I study found that the children with gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria were perceived to be prettier than cisgender boys so that's something isn't it uh, right uh, no no actually caroline no it's not something it's actually it's actually nothing it's actually worse than nothing it's such it's such weird and like this is the issue with a lot of these studies at the time is like what does that even what does that mean what, what do you mean? Let me, so do, think... let me do an executive summary of that study. 21-year-olds <laughs> rate children's attractiveness. It's so, it's so much. And this research was proven wrong something like two or three years later. They tried to replicate the study and they just couldn't. Oh, what? Oh, I'm Shocking. so surprised. Shocking. Whoa, like, what? like, shocker, shocker there. Who could have seen that? coming oh so this study was trying to sort of determine why like people might experience gender dysphoria maybe why trans women were trans this looked very much at the nurture side of the nature nurture argument societal impacts etc but obviously researchers have also tried to look at the nature side of things so if there are biological aspects mm. of where gender might come from. Um, I won't talk too much about hormones, but obviously hormones are something that influence sex in people. So maybe they might influence gender as well. And that's where research in the 2000s and the 2010s comes in. One research paper concluded that prenatal androgens, so sex hormones like testosterone, have facilitative effects on male-typed activity interests and engagement, including children's toy preferences and adult careers, including spatial abilities, but had relatively minimal effects on gender identity itself. So basically saying that testosterone in the womb could impact gender roles but maybe don't impact gender identity so much. Yeah, what I'm hearing is I have a perfect balance of testosterone and estrogen because when I was a child... Congratulations. I played with... I had Digimon toys and Bratz dolls and I used to make <gasps> them live together in a village. <laughs> in a village? In a village. And sometimes How? a Bratz what? doll would be sacrificed to the gods. <gasps> 
have to sacrifice my bodies to the gods. I'm just, now I'm just imagining Hasbro lobbying big testosterone now because they're like, listen, this is the only way. This is how we get the money, baby. <laughs> so yeah, here's the thing about that study as well. The cause and effect thing is like contested. A 2015 study suggested that gender socialization might be the thing that is affecting testosterone levels by encouraging men, but not women, to do activities that increased testosterone levels. So it's very much like what's doing what? We don't actually know. Right. Yeah. Just There's just so much in society and our bodies going there's on. There's so much going on. Like in, in the Science of Gay episode, Ella, Ella talked about how ridiculous the idea of, of a, a single gay gene is because of how complicated and intricate genetics is and, and our bodies are. And, and so then to also bring in the complexity of sociology into this to try to make a connection between them is just uh, untenable. That leads us to... One of the other studies that I think I was most excited to talk about. Ooh. This is something that, like, we're fully into the 2010s and 2020s now. Cool. And this is a theory that I spouted a lot at, like, 18, 19, when I had just started going through my, like, say shit you don't really understand to get people to <laughs> react to you. Um, and this is, this is the idea of pink brain, blue brain. Mm -hmm. The idea that men and women have different brains in like a variety of different ways. Yeah, I, I've definitely heard people say this in reference to, to like, for example, saying that they feel like they have a man's brain in a woman's body. <gasps> yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard some people say that's a helpful metaphor. I've also heard other trans folks say that it, it, that's sort of an oversimplification and it's a lot more nuanced than that. Um, and, and that makes sense because <laughs> both gender and the brain are fucking complicated. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like there, I might be completely wrong. There probably are sex differences in in brains yeah but that yeah, yeah, does yeah, totally. not equate to gender differences so yeah that's super interesting so mm -hmm. according to a lot of different research there are parts of the brain that are larger sides of the brain get used more even serotonin levels in the brain could be different and of course like ella just said this could be a difference between the sexes for example some sources suggest that the male brain is 10% bigger than female brains, which like as a whole, males are 10% bigger than yeah, females in our body species. Size. So it's like, yeah, that can mm, make mm. complete sense. However, if you bring a group of people into the study whose gender is different to what they were assigned at birth, trans people, you can gain a greater understanding of if those differences are because of sex or because of gender. Now, there is a study from 2022. This study looked at the differences in white and gray matter in the brain. So they trained a program using 500 people's MRIs mm, of their mm. brains to establish a range of parameters using this gray and white matter to determine if the brain was a man brain or a woman brain. It's known as the brain sex index. We're talking about brain sex indexes. It's very, very fun. Okay. So far, so good. Yeah. So they've, they've trained a program to figure out if a brain is a man brain or a woman brain, basically. Yeah. So right now, what they've essentially gone is like, those are male brains, those are female brains, man brain, woman brain. They then did their own MRIs on 24 cis women, 24 trans women, and 24 cis men and plotted them on this brain sex index. So they trained this program mm -hmm. to create this like range of, you know what, why don't I just show you the graph that they produced Yay. from this one? So Caroline is showing us a graph 
the the major axis of this chart is the brain sex index from female to male and there's three plots on it for the brains of cisgender men transgender women and cisgender women and it seems that the brains of transgender women sit somewhere in the middle. So they found essentially that transgender women's brains were significantly different from cis men brains. And, and I think that's interesting. But honestly, what strikes me more about this plot, and I think why you want to show it to us, is is how much overlap there is between all the genders. There is a lot. There's yeah. so much overlap between the brains. Like like on this plot of the 24 cisgender women brains, there are five that are more male than the cisgender men brains like we were talking about bimodal distributions earlier there's way more overlap than i would have thought there's so much overlap between all three of these plots really and this data as it stands doesn't mean anything yeah it doesn't yeah. mean anything like 100 it doesn't really yeah. show anything like maybe there's differences maybe there aren't we don't know what that's linked to in any way like caroline said mm. about hormones there's so much there are so yeah. many factors at play here yeah. we literally cannot yeah. know that's such a good point and trans women are also a huge spectrum like that yeah and and cis yeah. men and cis women like there's no yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know also again the sample size of this study is teeny tiny tiny and also just doesn't include trans men <laughs> in gender studies where things are so variable having yeah. a large sample size is absolutely essential you have to you have to have hundreds and hundreds thousands of people yeah. if you're going to make yeah. any kind of conclusion from that data you can't absolutely <laughs> and also to, to put on my computer science and cognitive science hat it, they're trying to do a machine learning model on the entire yeah, brain, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. They're not looking at like the neurons in the gender cortex. It's a, <laughs> it's a black box algorithm looking at the whole brain. So like Ella said, I, I don't know what that really tells you. Yeah, totally. And you know what, to like echo all of that, before this research was even done, there was research happening in like 2009, 2010, which essentially determined that there was so much overlap between male and female brains anyway, that trying to use this to determine any sort of difference is almost obsolete and that these brains have hmm. much more similarities than differences anyway. Hmm. So yeah, looking at this sort of research and all of the research that we've looked at so far, it kind of tells me, or it summarizes really nicely to me that like defining a man and a woman is really, really hard. Mm. Finding a biological reason is really, really hard. And like trying to do so whilst looking at nature and nurture is just really, really hard. <laughs> and I've barely even touched on like the psychological studies that are included. I mean, some of the ones that I saw were literally the equivalent of doing like a BuzzFeed quiz to see if you're gay <laughs> in like 2010, you know? Again, that paper's in the show notes. I think it's just really important to highlight, in my opinion, Especially like the since the impact of what this research can have can be so it can be, have a huge impact. The implications are like people taking the results from that yeah. those studies and completely yeah. spinning it off into harming, Absolutely. you know, trans people or whatever. Well, not even that. There was a 2007 study that found in women holding a biological gender theory, so thinking that gender is based in biology, would orient women to view possessing gender stereotypical characteristics as inevitable. So essentially believing that they had to have these views and that there was no way that they were going to escape having these negative gender stereotypes. These stereotypes were correct, basically, because they believed that gender was based in biology. Oh. Uh, 
which is yeah I'm, yeah i mean yeah gender gender norms hurt everyone not just trans people talking about people within the lgbtq community some advocates and community members believe that finding an innate genetic or biological basis for their identities would help them secure their fundamental rights but others point Mm. out that even if identities are not born or innate it doesn't mean that those identities are by choice. That quote goes on to say that these individuals worry that an overemphasis on biological difference would trivialize the social and environmental influences on the development of our brains and identities and simply might create a biological basis for discrimination. Yes, okay, there you go, exactly. There you go. On top of all of this, I've not mentioned a single study today that has included non-binary people. Non-binary people, yeah. Huh. (laughs) And I couldn't particularly find any which was fun for me we like to cause chaos (laughs) over here in the non-binary community there's also once again this is like assumption that that gender binary has existed across all cultures at all times which also just isn't true um in the show notes there is a link from pbs and it's a map of gender diverse cultures no it's really cool i would recommend having a look at it yeah And there's a lot of case studies on this phenomenon that there probably would have been more of these gender diverse cultures had it not been for colonialism, which is fun. Just another thing we lost. Yeah. I think the final thing that I want to touch on today is some statistics that are, they kind of make me sad still. I think what's important is understanding the difference between gender and like the very little impact the genetics probably has on it still has a massive impact to people in Mm. STEM women only make up 28% of the workforce worldwide. If you split it down to places like the United States, it's only 24. It's only 17% in the European Union. And it goes down from there. I've got 16% in Japan, etc. The gender pay gap is also still significant within STEM and just across the board Mm -hmm. with people like production managers and directors in mining and energy having a 37% gap. In IT engineers, it's 36. In biological scientists and biochemists, it's still 8%. Um, We as a society have created these genders, forced them onto other societies and now cannot escape them. I think we shouldn't allow perceived biological differences to have this much of an impact on us. And maybe we all deserve a little bit better. That's where I want to leave it. I know it's a little bit of a depressing note, but I think it's really important. Um, This has been a bit of a a wacky topic to talk about. I was going to say deeply complicated and and, and interwoven with so many other things and like something that hopefully we can aspire to be better at. But but wacky, wacky sums it up too, I guess. Thank you both so much for listening to me talk about some studies that I thought were just weird. (laughs) No, it's excellent, Caroline. What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it? And you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, or you can't decide what is the best nut, or can't agree on what is the best cheese. Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal, only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively, for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. So today's question is, why do we keep discovering water on Mars? We're really forgetful. And yep. <laughs> hey, Jins. Uh, so when I, when I explained this topic to my friend, their first reaction was hearing news that there's water on Mars is like hearing news that there's the first gay Disney character, which Caroline 
was literally so sniped at the so beginning, true. which is amazing. <laughs> but it is true. It's like because you, you're like you're like wait, did, did, didn't that already? Ha- I swear I read this two years ago. Yeah. And then like you read the article, and it's just like a background character that talks about listening to Muna, and it's like I don't hold on, I don't know if that's <laughs> that's necessarily doesn't that count. That, so eventually, what we'll do is we'll f- so if it's like a main character, gay Disney character, it will be we'll find a glass of water next to a, like a a Brita filter on Mars. <laughs> We discovered water. <laughs> uh, so I will say that comparison is fair in some ways, but in defense of Martian water, there are some actually valid reasons why this keeps happening, actually. Because I, I started this research kind of like anti-Mars water, like kind of annoyed, uh, but I have left kind of pro-Martian water after all of this. All and of we the, will this- get into... All of these words in these sentences together are mad. They're bonkers. I don't... <laughs> Has anybody ever said I'm pro, pro Martian, Martian water, water before this moment? Listen, let's just say by the end of this, you guys will have drunk in the Martian Kool-Aid. <laughs> um, and so we're going to get into all of that. But I want to start this question off by setting the scene a little because I found the history of this question to be just as wild as our present day understanding. So to start off, I want to ask you both, when did we first think there was water on Mars? Um, I don't when know. When did we discover Her. that Mars was a thing? What, thousands and thousands of years ago? Yes. So so humans have observed Mars for, for thousands and thousands of years. But as far as identifying it as an actual planet and not just like yeah. another bright thing yeah, in the yeah, sky, yeah. Uh, that happened in the 1600s. Oh, sh- shit. Okay. So when did we first start theorizing that there could be water on this planet over there. It must have something to do with, like, how... Huh. I'm going to guess, like, the 1940s. 1890s. Oh. 1784. Oh, wow. That's a scientific kind of uh, assumption. This was to the Royal Society, yeah. It's not like me right now saying... I think there's water on... Correct, right. (laughs) Yes, a good point. That there was a, you know, like a paper submit. So one of the first records we have of theorizing water on Mars is from 1784. Uh, This paper is so old that soft S's are written with the letter F, which is a thing they used to do in in English. Oh, yeah. Which makes it very hard to read. Uh, It reads (laughs) like it's, it's written by Daffy Duck. But even back then... As astronomer William Herschel told the Royal Society, quote, the analogy between Mars and the Earth is perhaps by far the greatest in the whole solar system. He then goes on, if then we find that the globe we inhabit has its polar regions frozen and covered with mountains of ice and snow that only partly melt when alternately exposed to the sun, I may well be permitted to surmise that the same causes may probably have the same effect on the globe of Mars. Which is pretty spot on about the ice caps on Mars. And this was happening in 1784, which is amazing. And also kind of sick because you're just like, oh, man, have we been doing this for like (laughs) hundreds of years? We've been trying to do this. We've been trying to figure this one out for, huh? I do want to say really quick that this prediction is a lot less meaningful when I also tell you that Herschel thought there were oceans on Mars. Oh. And... Uh, more importantly, people actively living there. Uh, there it is. Uh, so it does, it's, it's, it's sort of like, okay, so maybe this is like a broken clock situation. And even more wild, uh, according to science historian George Basala, quote, 
Herschel made the extraordinary claim that the sun was heavily populated. <laughs> oh. Solar creatures inhabited the sun's cold interior. Nice. It's cold interior, huh? On the inside of the sun. Yep. It's like a Trojan horse that's on fire kind of situation. You know, <laughs> they're just hanging out in something. there. Something. That's good. I there was a five-year-old at work who thought the same thing once. So <laughs> that's all I'm basing that on. Did he write to the Royal Society to tell them that? Uh, uh, he told me that it was dinosaurs. The dinosaurs had left Earth on a spaceship to go and live in the sun. Whoa, so to live in the cool yeah. sun. Yeah. Is there much more historical astronomy in this question? Just a tiny bit. Why? I just think they're all idiots. <laughs> I'm like, let's get let's get to the real astronomers, because like people were saying, people could say anything, and when you said no, yeah. it was a real science thing sent to the Royal Society. Yeah, it was, but it was like me sending a letter to the Royal Society saying, I think people play lutes on Mars and dance around in circles <laughs> naked. Like, I can say whatever the fuck I want in a letter. <laughs> well, so I will say what this does say is that, you know, this idea that there was both active water and life on Mars really excited the astronomy community at the time, at least for the next like hundred years. Because mm. of course it would, because they're nerds. <laughs> <laughs> They want science fiction things to be real. Yeah. <laughs> like well, me. Well, it's interesting because in some ways, this is the, the birth of all the things that we now consider tropes like this, right? That there are Martians, that there is water on Mars. This is where this comes from, right? And so it is in some ways easy to be like, well, of course they would think that. But in other ways, you know, this is the start of them being like, here's another planet. What if they're like us? But I mean, yeah, to your point, this is at the same time a very human thing to be like, what if yeah. there are fun people like us living on this other rock? And, you know, by the late 1800s, telescopes would start to improve. Uh, to the point where we could see there weren't any oceans on Mars or like buildings or anything like that. But because they were still not like amazing telescopes, what would happen is that tiny bright spots would kind of like join together. So they created this illusion that there were these lines on Mars that people thought were canals of water running across the planet. Oh. Okay. And one such person who believed this was Percival Lowell. In 1907, Lowell told Nature that because of these canals, quote, it is a direct sequitur from this that the planet is at present the abode of intelligent, constructive life. Right. You know, as, as the optics improve, telescopes get better, it's like, instead of there being like oceans and stuff, it's like, well, maybe there's canals, right? Like, uh, okay, maybe mm. not canals, but like maybe there's like one lake and there's a bunch of people over there or something like <laughs> there's that. There's a puddle, maybe. I will say, of course, though, by this time, not everyone was on board with this, but uh, it was significant enough, though, that as Space.com put it, and I love this phrasing, quote, to pursue his misguided obsession, Lowell founded and funded one of the world's greatest observatories on a 7,200-foot mountain peak he named Mars Hill near Flagstaff, Arizona. Nice. It's still known as the Lowell Observatory, but what's very funny is if you go to the Lowell Observatory website, oh, no. it won't say... Lowell Observatory, like home of finding those Martians, you know, like the Lowell Observatory any day now. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, the Lowell Observatory, if you have heard of it before, is known as the home of Pluto because <gasps> this fucking telescope was used to discover Pluto in 1930. Oh, cool. I didn't realize it took so long to discover Pluto. I mean, that makes sense. That's it's also so fucking interesting. Teeny, tiny, small and not a planet. But yeah. But I just love that this misguided 
Mars obsession led to the, the discovery of Pluto. It's like it's like you make a microscope to find fairies, and you're like, oh, I also found the Higgs boson while I was doing yeah. that. <laughs> uh, but it, but that does go to show how much interest on water and life on Mars was inspiring scientists at the time, even in the in the early 1900s. And since the early 1900s, we've done a lot more Mars observation. In fact, since 1964, we've even sent stuff to Mars. So do y'all know how many Mars missions we've had and what kinds of missions we've had to Mars? Oh. There's the Mars rover. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which plays happy birthday to itself by tapping on the ground. <laughs> Most heartbreaking thing Yeah, it, it's curiosity no, that does that. That's I know nothing about Mars. No, me neither. There's a few rovers now, isn't there, on Mars' surface? There are. Yeah. So since the 60s, which I, I also find that interesting because I feel like... Um, the 60s were such a moon heavy time yeah that to yeah remember that we were also doing like mars stuff at bits, the same time yeah. and and you know all of those led to then having the rover there there was all this like mission history for like 50 60 years beforehand mm. so since the 60s we've had 10 flybys where we just like shoot something past take some pictures take some analysis oh okay yeah we've had seven landers that haven't been able to move but like have been on the surface mm. we've had 17 orbiters mm-hmm. we've had six rovers Ooh. and we've had a uh, one segment on the podcast dear hank and john uh, about mars so that's been an important to the to the scientific study very um, important could you, not, those... could you not advertise on the podcast on our podcast unless we're paid <laughs> unless we're paid for it especially much bigger and better podcasts yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to bleep better, much bigger and <laughs> worse podcast. Um, but of those, six orbiters and three rovers and also the Ingenuity helicopter are all still active on Mars right now, which mm-hmm. is awesome. So there is a ton of Mars activity going on. We are in the golden age of Mars science. Uh, it's very exciting. But in part because of that, we are also living in a very confusing time of Mars. For example... I want to ask you both right now, straight up, do you know right now if there is water on Mars? No. I have no opinions on whether or not there is war on Mars. (laughs) (laughs) I think we found evidence of there being water on Mars, but we've not found water on Mars yet. Interesting. And therefore, maybe there's not water on Mars anymore. Interesting. I know we found ice on Mars like a bunch of times, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which which is water, just FYI. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's also part of it. And so we're going to get into all this. I'm going to be completely honest. I did not know this answer confidently before researching this at mm-hmm. all i feel like i should know if the yeah the fact that i can't say rather than saying no yeah is, is, is yeah, yeah, yeah. troubled me as i was doing this i can tell you how many american flags are on the moon but i can't tell you if there's water on mars <laughs> you know but some listeners might be thinking to yourself i'm pretty sure i i read somewhere that we found water on mars like didn't i read somewhere and you probably have read that because of the first reason why we keep discovering water on mars the news cycle. That makes right. so much sense. Yeah. Mm. For example, Vox reported the headline, scientists just found the first evidence for liquid water on Mars. Can you guess when that was published? 2015. Exactly. Oh, Spot on. nice. <laughs> that, was, that was the first time it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And then hilariously, the first line of the article then backpedals. It goes, scientists <gasps> just found the best evidence yet that no, liquid water is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my 
goodness. I, you can also like with the first sentence, you can see them wanting to have it both ways, right? Because mm -hmm. they say the first evidence where it's like it's simultaneously couching it as evidence, but then also being like it's the first like real evidence. Yeah. It's the first, yeah. right? And it's like what well, you can't be both, right? Also, that same year in 2015, NASA themselves put out a press release with the headline, NASA confirms evidence that liquid water flows on today's Mars, which is... That's pretty that's definitive, big. isn't it? That's yeah. pretty big. They said, quote, researchers detected signatures of hydrated minerals on slopes where mysterious streaks are seen on the red planet. These darkest streaks appear to ebb and flow over time. They darken and appear to flow down steep slopes during warm seasons and then fade in cooler seasons. But Aww. in 2017, two years later, NASA put out a press release saying, recurring Martian streaks, flowing sand, not water? Question mark? Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, and so sense. they say, they say, quote, dark features on Mars, previously considered evidence for subsurface flowing of water, are interpreted by new research as granular flows where mm -hmm. grains of sand and dust slip downhill to make dark streaks Fine. rather yeah, than the ground being sense. darkened by seeping water. But what makes this situation even less clear is the fact that the New York Times reported on the first press release but not the second. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, they're not yeah. going... I mean, it's not... It's annoying, but that is just how uh, right. these things yeah. work. Why would you... Exactly. Imagine the headline in the New York Times. Front <laughs> water, page. Water not discovered on Mars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but that's that's the misalignment, right? Where, yeah. So uh, they reported on the first article from 2015 saying, quote, definitive evidence of salty liquid water flowing within some of these seasonal streaks. Um, but as far as I could find, they did not mention the 2017 update. And also, they, they haven't edited or updated their previous article. Continuing on, in 2018, the first line of a piece by the New York Times reads, quote, for the first time, scientists have found a large watery lake beneath an ice cap on Mars. Okay. Which makes it sound like we like drilled a hole and like peeked in and I was like, oh my God, there's like a lake yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But of course, the actual paper published in Science is titled Radar Evidence of Subglacial Liquid Water on Mars. And then in 2022, as Space said, quote, Mars's suspected underground lake could be just volcanic rock, new study finds. Oh. There's also suggesting that the, this, this, basically what they, you know, they found like a abnormality when they were doing seismography data mm -hmm. on mars they found mm -hmm. like this abnormality that they thought could be water some people are now saying it could be like clay material and then yeah. other people are saying it could be volcanic rock yeah the final report i want to mention i find very funny for a few reasons but is definitely like the least bad i think but it's still very funny <laughs> uh as of this episode releasing on thursday <gasps> this came out one week ago wow. exactly no way I love it when this happens. Science Daily reported, quote, Gullies on Mars could have been formed by recent periods of liquid meltwater, study suggests. And recent in like astronomical uh -huh. terms is like what you're talking thousands or I was, yeah. I was gonna ask, can either of you guess can either of you guess what recent means? I would guess in the range of millions because it's not it's not that bad actually. Oh. I I think you guys are are more couched to think that. Okay. Um, I, I think like in the last 5,000 years is my guess. That is pretty recent in the life scale of a planet. Um, so it is 630,000. Okay, right. 
Okay. And and also, you know, this is like evidence of it being there, not necessarily of like huge oceans, right? <laughs> so it's both, right? It's it's evidence of some water. 630,000 years ago, which, first of all, is interesting because it, yeah. it's always so interesting to like push the time periods of when we think these things. Do. <laughs> uh, I'm having, I, I know, I know you want us to be excited, Tom, and I am in my, in a way, but you have yeah. set this up for me to be so skeptical and dubious now that I'm just like, I don't know what to think. I'm like, should I care? Well, I, I, I am certainly pulling, pulling the worst uh, instances of it. <laughs> But, you know, I think I think that one is the most forgivable instance because they, they are trying to talk about this thing. Did any other news outlets pick that up as like a bigger story? I have seen good articles use big quotes around the word recent, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, which is good. Yeah, right. Because I think, yeah, like you latched onto, Ella, that's the, the sort of tricky word there. But yeah. the thing with all of these studies is, of course... Everyone is in favor of learning about Mars, right? Like on their own, each of these studies are amazing forward progress to our understanding of Mars. And and sometimes they're using it like entirely different fields of science to come to these conclusions, right? Like you mm -hmm. have these, these like these these geological studies, you have these uh like chemical studies. Mm. And I also understand both publications and NASA themselves wanting to get people excited. Yeah. The problem is when every publication wants to run the best sounding headline, which is water on Mars, that makes it sound like we've been tackling the same problem for years, which we haven't. Oh, that's such a good point, Tom. The way that's so huh. interesting. Actually, oh, yeah. okay, you made me you made me excited again. <laughs> You've piqued Ella's interest again. <laughs> like it, right, is, it makes it sound like Yeah. yeah. It's such a diverse problem with so many facets of science in there yeah. that actually it, it is interesting. Oh, okay, go on then, Tom. Uh, is there more <laughs> So just to wrap this, you know, the news cycle and the science cycle don't always line up or have the yeah. same motivations. And that can lead to some very understandable confusion. Um, but there's one other factor at play, which is the inherent complexity, and we're going to get into it in a second, because uh, one of my favorite places that answered this question doesn't come from a headline or a paper, but from NASA's We Asked a NASA Scientist series. Oh, fun. And it's my favorite because it's hilarious, and it also points to a second reason why we keep rediscovering water on Mars. So in 2021, they were asked, is there water on Mars? To which they say, quote, <laughs> The short answer is yes. Now, we have to think about, how do we actually define water? Mm -hmm. I don't need that question. It, oh. it's, it's, I tried for like a solid five minutes to write like a better joke answer than that, but I couldn't. It, it's like saying like, do you love me? And being like, oh, I, I absolutely love you. Yes, 100%. But first, let's define love. <laughs> how, do we, how do we define? Um, uh, very good. <laughs> oh, no. But... As much as I'm joking around, <laughs> they are actually correct because, uh, like Ella was, was, was getting at, the second much more valid reason why we keep discovering water on Mars is both individually, water and Mars are both fucking complicated. And even the question, is there water on Mars, sounds like one question, but it is actually multiple, right? The question isn't just, do you wear wigs, but have you worn wigs? Will <laughs> when, you wear wigs? When, when, when will, will you, you wear, wear wigs? wigs? <laughs> <laughs> was there water on mars is there water like i genuinely I, I and i i've started to notice this a lot in science communication especially on tiktok that when people ask a question like 
you know, where does the wax go in a candle when you burn it? Or is there water on Mars? Whether they realize it or not, they are asking many questions, right? Is there water on Mars? Is there liquid water on Mars? Is there stable liquid water on Mars that doesn't just like instantly turn to vapor, right? Like, yeah, how much yeah. water are we talking about? Like, is it thimbles? Is it a lake? Is it like if water melts on a glacier and then turns to gas after a few seconds, does that count it depends on what kind of question you're asking does it flow mm -hmm. yeah exactly yes does it does it pool up at all does it ever stay still enough for like life to interact with another big question in this when you say is there water on mars is what kind of evidence are we talking about are we talking mm -hmm. about like a picture mm -hmm. a sample lots of evidence comes in the form of these like indirect like radio seismography or like yeah. soil formations that might have been caused by water. Then there's the other problem, like the Bigfoot question of like, how do you prove that there's not water on Mars? Mm, yeah. And then there's the question also that everyone is like implicitly a little curious about is like, has there ever been water on Mars, liquid water? Yeah. And then also the deep question behind all this, is any of this supportive of, of life, right? Like, I think, yes, this problem is exacerbated by headlines in the in the news just like disney is but unlike the inclusion of queer characters which is a very straightforward issue the question of water on mars is actually at its core really complicated i don't know there are like a lot of seismologists geographers like astronomers involved in getting gay characters into disney movies. yeah that's <laughs> yeah, true <laughs> so they've been yeah all the papers that have been coming out um for example to, to poke at this complexity, do either of you know why liquid water on Mars has such a hard time? Hot. <laughs> Caroline? Um, in my head, I'm like, Mars is further away from us. So it shouldn't be mm -hmm. like as hot, should it? But they have a much thinner atmosphere. Oh, that's such a good point. They, they, who's <laughs> <was> living <laughs> on Mars. Yeah, yeah, I'm being gender neutral. <laughs> <laughs> Mars is outside uh, of the gender binary spectrum, Ella. They can't be included in gender true. studies. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, um, Ella, I also thought it was temperature, but the main reason why it's hard for water to ex exist is also mainly pressure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So temperature wise, Mars ranges from 20 Celsius to negative 150 Celsius or 72 Ooh. negative 200 Fahrenheit. And you might be thinking like that's a 20 degree Celsius range where liquid water can exist. That, that's fine. But even temperature ranges aren't so simple because according to NASA, quote, if you were to stand on the surface of Mars on the equator at noon, it would feel like spring at your feet and winter at your head. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Because of how thin the atmosphere is, mm -hmm. even temperature alone is, is complicated. But then compounding with that, more importantly, we know from chemistry that it's temperature and pressure that determine the phase of matter, right? You may remember those yeah. phase diagram charts from chemistry. So the air pressure on Mars is 0.6% of Earth's at sea level. Not 6%, 0.6%, which would be like standing oh, wow. on five Mount Everests, <gasps> which means that that thin range of temperatures where water can exist gets even thinner. And so on Mars, you get to break out the fancy phase transitions, like the, the special dinner plates for our special Martian guests. So most of the time on Mars, when frozen ice warms up, it will sublimate directly into a gas. Oh my God, I love the word sublimate. It makes me so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Screw being a liquid. I'm going to sublimate out of here. And when water vapor on Mars cools down, it will simply deposit. It's called deposition. It will deposit into ice. Oh, that's so cool. And this 
answer something that like my kid brain always kept asking, which is like, because you see the caps and you're like, well, what happens when they melt? And the answer is that they just turn directly into a gas. It just, yeah, it does a dry ice on us and just goes. And so, yeah, most of the time on Mars, when frozen ice warms up, it just sublimates directly into mm -hmm. a gas. And when water vapor on Mars cools down, it just deposits into ice. So even though the polar ice caps on Mars may melt, that doesn't necessarily mean that there is water. Mm -hmm. But then to make matters even more interesting and confusing, what works in favor of liquid water is something else I never considered, the salinity of the water. Oh. Because we know how much salt in water can also affect its yeah. state transitions, right? We, uh -huh. Yes, we do know that. Well, That's like something how, I know. If you put <laughs> grit on the road with salt in it, it's exactly. less likely to have frost on it for cars and things like that. Yes, yeah. because it, it, it lowers the freezing point, and so yeah. it will stay water for longer. But there is, like, literally fucking sodium chloride on Mars and also other salts like calcium perchlorate. Ah, uh, that yeah. I, I literally never thought about that. It's like, oh, it's not just water, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's the, the kind of water. And so all of this is to say... Water is fucking complicated, even when it's not on a floating rock millions of miles away from us, but it is. And so that makes it, it a fucking really difficult problem. Yeah. And so if I were to answer the question, is there water on Mars? Having done some research into the science and the science communication of all of this, I would say sometimes and maybe. <laughs> so I will say... There is consensus that there used to be water on Mars. That is like generally agreed upon. And I didn't know this. Did you know that there were Mars-specific geological time periods? That makes that makes sense. But I'd never contemplated the fact that that could be a thing before this moment. I did, I did not know that. That's No. <laughs> so they are the pre-Noachian, the Noachian, the Hesperian, and the Amazonian. Um, Noachian being derived from the word Noah after one of the, the, the craters, I believe. Um, ah. And it is this Noachian period between 4.1 and 3.7 billion years ago that they think there were some seas on Mars. Huh. Interestingly, also similar to around the time that we think life started to emerge on Earth, which is very fun <gasps> to imagine the oh, solar wow. system at that time, right? That's really cool. Then yeah. what happened is that water either froze at the poles evaporated away or froze underground over those 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 periods mm. of time but as for the present state of affairs i will say smithsonian magazine summarized it really well in may of 2023 so this is the like up-to-date latest water position <laughs> they write quote the planet's atmosphere contains small amounts of water vapor for example mars also has water ice caps at its poles and salty water may sometimes flow down hillsides and crater walls, according to NASA. That's, you know, I'm, it's, it seems finicky possible. During the Martian winter, water frost may also form and water-based snowflakes drift through the atmosphere, turning to gas before they hit the ground. Oh! Stop personifying Mars, Caroline. I can see it in Did your you? face. <laughs> sometimes it snows. <laughs> oh! And all the Martian kids love to catch it on their tongues before it turns to gas. Um, so, you know, my answer to the question, is there water on Mars? There is definitely solid and gaseous H2O on Mars right now, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. There is also some evidence that there is sometimes like transient amounts of liquid water on Mars right now. That there is like in the right condition, it can exist for moments. Mm -hmm. But so far, it does not seem to be meaningful amounts. And also, we have never directly seen or touched liquid water on Mars yet. 
That that I feel like is a big thing I always yeah. want to I want to add if I had to answer this question is like we've never seen it. Like we haven't seen seen it. Yeah. And 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 that that would be like a really cool to see the Brita picture like like Ella was saying. Like that would be the next step, but we haven't reached that yet. Yeah. That is how I would phrase the state of water on Mars as we know it so far. And I want to emphasize the so far part because the truth is, after doing all this research, I actually think the fact that we keep discovering water on Mars is actually a good thing because, uh, like, I, just as much as as we've heard people online complain about, you know, water being discovered on Mars over and over again, I feel like we've also, I'm sure you guys have heard people online complain or say, say stuff like, oh, I wish, I wish I was born in an earlier time so I could, like, discover x y or z right like when things could still be discovered you know like take me back to the time where i could discover pluto in 1930 like i mentioned at the, at the top of the question well you know fucking what it is exactly those times that are the most confusing because if i sent you back to the time of the early 1900s when people were discovering pluto you could easily instead of discovering pluto be one of the scientists that spent 40 years actively looking for a different planet named Vulcan that they were searching for between Mercury and the sun that just fucking didn't exist at all. Wasn't even like a tiny planet or a moon. Just, just wasn't Just wasn't that. <laughs> or if I sent you back in time, more likely you would be one of the millions of people opening up the New York Times on October 4th, 1876 to read The Planet Vulcan. The astronomers still watching intently. <laughs> <laughs> so like even... During those times, there was the confusion because the exciting times are also the the confusing times, right? And, yeah. and 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 even back then, it wasn't like the New York Times was like, "Well, let's wait till we find Pluto first before we print the headline." They were like, "Hey guys, look, look, maybe Vulcan. We're still waiting on Vulcan." And it's like that ended up being. Can you imagine just being like for 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 like thirty years hearing news stories about this new planet, and then it, and then it comes out, it's like, uh, it's just not there. That, there was nothing actually. There was just no planet. It's like psych. It's like that makes Mars water seem like nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, while sometimes the news cycle doesn't really match the science cycle, and it's easy to get jaded, just like so many things in life, while you're living in the present, things feel chaotic. But when you look back, you can see it clearly, like Vulcan and like Pluto and like Mars water. These are the exciting times, and it takes a bit more effort to sort through it all. But exciting stuff is happening. Like, we can fucking see and hear the surface of Mars from rovers, which is bonkers. And I will also really quickly say, like, while news sites aren't always the best for this information, you know who I think is a really amazing resource for these sort of, like, in-progress science stories is fucking Wikipedia. Ooh, Like, yeah. they, they cite their sources... They uh -huh. do a good job of providing like a general consensus at the top. And then more importantly, it is editable and updatable. Mad Wikipedia is great. I'm sorry. It's great. Like I as long Wikipedia. as it's a, yeah. it a well-cited article, like, and it puts primary sources in, like Wikipedia is your, your friend. Yeah. But like, unlike articles, you know, you don't have to like pitch to your boss to be like, hey, can we print, can we use some of this finite space on the newspaper to say that the position on Mars has like updated? You just have to like update it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, to wrap this, as we look to the future and to improving our understanding of water on Mars... And also improving our understanding of how we talk about water on Mars. I am optimistic to be living in the confusing times now because they are the exciting times. Both NASA and the ESA are planning a sample return mission that could return a piece of Mars to Earth for the first time ever as early as 2033. And while 10 years can seem like a long time, 
I will say I saved one of the wildest facts for last. So I mentioned earlier, Pluto was discovered at the Lowell Observatory in 1930, but 15 years earlier, astronomer Thomas Gill actually took the first image of Pluto at the telescope and didn't realize what it was. Oh, it's classic, classic astronomy. It is. I'm glad you mentioned that, Ella. It is so classic in astronomy that this phenomena actually has a name. <laughs> it's called uh, it's called precovery or prediscovery recovery. It's happening right now. So there was a supernova a couple of weeks ago. It's the closest we've ever had. Oh, really? It's in the the Pinwheel Galaxy. When there's an event like this you'll have the first picture of the supernova that's declared, and then you will have people who will come in and put their pictures of that thing just beforehand, like when it was starting to get brighter just before yeah, it yeah. exploded. Oh. And, that, the, and those images are called pre-discovery. So like they are, yeah. like this is a huge part of astronomy because yeah. there are people, there are hundreds of people, both professionals and amateurs, thousands of mm -hmm. people, professionals and amateurs across the world, all looking at the sky at different times of day. And from different locations so you're looking you, everyone's seeing everything i think yeah astronomy is so fucking cool in That's that way it's so, so cool. wild the, the first person is, yeah. to see the supernova was um an amateur so like yeah. that's oh it's so sick sick <laughs> it's it it's so cool I, it's also something like just so wild to think like 15 years sitting on this photograph of pluto just like in the mess of like all the others it's yeah. just it's, it was it was there and like, not only does that make 10 years not seem too long at all, but it just goes to show like, who knows what we have yet to find mm -hmm. with all of the confusing mess we have in the present still. So space <laughs> is a mess. It's an exciting it's mess. It's a mess. Space is such a mess. <laughs> and I think what's exciting for you there is I have like such a, a huge skepticism about like the way media covers science and and i still do after this for yeah. sure but um it kind of makes me feel like oh next time i see like that headline water discovered on mars i can be yeah. like a little bit excited yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. not be uh -huh. like oh this again i could be like oh what is it now like what is the new discovery yeah, yeah. like a it might not it might not be you know the glass of water that, you know but <laughs> yeah but, you know, or maybe one day, but maybe it's, you know, evidence of an ancient lake or it's, uh, you know, evidence of something flowing or just existing on an ice cap for longer. And now I know the context that makes it way more exciting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I really went into this being going to be full cynic. And then after digging enough, I was like, oh, I can't. This is cool, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that was not part of the plan. It is cool. It's hard not to think something's cool when so many people work on it and like have such a yeah. passion for it yeah. and are developing yeah. all these cool techniques to do it. Totally. They can be anywhere, at your office, in your car, and they are wrong. My mom says that the gray house didn't exist, but she's wrong. He just does it wrong. Someone in your life is wrong about something. Something small, something weird, something vitally important. Only one person has the courage to tell them just how wrong they are. You know what you did was wrong, but your daughter is a liar who eats garbage. <laughs> they call me Judge John Hodgman. Listen to me on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. If someone in your life is doing you wrong, don't just take it. Take it to court. Submit your case at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. Today's miscellaneous topic is columba livia domestica or the ooh, domestic ooh, pigeon ooh. 
It's not as good as that one girl on TikTok. <laughs> I, I know she does a seagull. Okay, retracted. Mm. <laughs> Man, speech and impression, not as good as girl on TikTok. Retracted. Retracted. <laughs> Retraction. Actually, fine. But the New York Times only reports on the first one. Um, okay, today's miscellaneous topic is Columba Livia Domestica or the domestic pigeon and my inexplicable or possibly explicable love for them. <gasps> love pigeons so much i want to get a pigeon tattooed I on also me at love some pigeons point a lot. Yeah. this is great i'm glad we're all on the same page we're gonna love them even more you found your crowd we're gonna yeah. love them even more by the end of this let me begin with a quote from wendell levi's the pigeon the man is fortunate who finds in his breast an inexplicable love for pigeons when fortune frowns and when the cares of a harsh or disordered world seem almost too heavy to bear and the pigeon Stop. lover finds in his birds a solace and consolation impossible to describe. Oh. This is how people describe like art. This is in a tired world. What we seek is is all we seek is pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> Which what, what do you know when that was from? I guess pigeon love is eternal. I don't know why I, I care when it was written. 1963. That's oh. more recent than I would think. Wow. Domestic pigeons were domesticated from rock doves, which look more or like from rocks rock doves which look more or less like domestic pigeons now but are more consistent in color and patterning you've probably seen like a pigeon in the city they have like a crazy range of like colors and patterning yeah but, yeah. but the yeah. thing you're thinking of everyone is thinking of is the gray with the like purpley and bluish mm -hmm. kind of almost like iridescent kind of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. lovely but domestic pigeons actually really are quite variable. Mm. We don't have much information on when and where they were domesticated, but rock doves are found all over the world. They're found in Europe, North Africa, mm. Southwestern Asia. So they were probably domesticated oh, wow. independently several times. No Aww. way. And we have archaeological evidence showing that they were a food source 10,000 years ago oh, in oh the Middle goodness. East. 10,000? Not a lot of meat on a pigeon, huh? Yeah, that would. we don't know if they were domesticated at this point, mm -hmm. but it, it's very possible if they were a food source, which wow. would make them the oldest domesticated bird. <gasps> That's crazy. Oh. I didn't realize it could have gone that far back. Kind of more recently, relatively, I suppose, like 4,000, 3,000 years ago, ancient Egyptians definitely did have domesticated pigeons. They were used for ceremonial purposes and again for food. <laughs> so they were everywhere and they have been for a very long time. Wow. Reddit user administrative end 140 <clears throat> said, I think they're beautiful. I love the iridescent feathers on their necks. If they weren't so common, everyone would think this. Oh. Well, actually, they're basically big doves and everyone likes doves. They're too successful <laughs> for their own good. Um, I will be sprinkling in these quotes throughout the topic. Fantastic. I was just going to say really quickly, the, the fact that they are everywhere and were used 10,000 years ago is is so interesting. Also, in, in the context of having to remind myself that like things like cattle and stuff like that had to be yeah. like actively migrated yeah. to other areas and things like food animals that we, I just assume are as old as time immemorial when they are actively not. And so it, it's, it, it can't take for granted 
how many uh, rock doves there are and also mm -hmm. how old they were used as yeah. um, food. That's very wild. Yeah. Absolutely. So we actually now have over 350 breeds of domesticated pigeons Whoa. that people keep as kind of pets or for kind of a specific purpose. Some wow. some have I had no idea. Uh, some are bred for very specific purpose, which we'll get into. And some are fancy pigeons <gasps> bred for their looks. Are we gonna get to look at some fancy pigeons today? Oh yeah, you know <gasps> it. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. For example, we have the resplendent <gasps> Stop. Jacobin pigeon with its <gasps> headdress of feathers, like a fancy fur jacket. Let me send you a picture. What? What the oh. fuck? That's wild. This is like a Met Gala look. Isn't it? That's this so is amazing. true. <gasps> it literally looks like when people have like a fur coat hood yes. around their head. They have this big tuft encompassing their whole head. And they're like brown and like a stark white. I've never seen a pigeon like that. I didn't realize. And this is a domesticated pigeon. This is a domesticated pigeon. It's the same species as the ones you see in a city. No it's just a way. different breed. Wow. The links to these will be in the show notes, but I will also do a post on our Instagram and Twitter with all the pictures I talk about today. Yeah. Oh yeah. Brilliant. We also have, for example, the bizarre puta pigeon, which <laughs> is puff chested. Uh, also oh, has the legs of a man. So much leg. <laughs> Big oh long legs. Goodness. Yeah, this looks like a, a spore creature creator. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone made this. I think it looks like it's wearing a little tuxedo. Oh, it yeah, it does. does. So yeah, these pigeons, they are lovely. But many pigeons that people keep as pets have more functionality. So, for example, tipler pigeons <laughs> have been bred to compete in endurance flight competitions. They can remain in the air for 22 <gasps> hours unbroken. <gasps> what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> Holy wow. Tumbler pigeons can perform somersaults and rolls during flights. <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed that this, this pigeon show would have so many events it has the fashion show it has the marathon <laughs> and it has the 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 blue angels like trick show where they're flying around <laughs> exactly yeah racing pigeons or racing homers are released at specific distances and then timed to see how fast they can return oh. home pigeon racing is a serious oh, that's why yeah. Homers. yeah that's why they're called homers oh, home. pigeon racing is a pretty wow. serious sport guys in 2012 a racing pigeon was bought for three hundred and twenty-eight thousand dollars. one <laughs> pigeon <Jeez>. yeah <gasps> like i know horses but something about the size of a horse makes like yeah maybe that makes more sense but this is a little guy yeah, and, then, yeah, little and then you guy. buy it and you, you let go and you're just like oh fuck oh shit oh, he's going <laughs> no because they'll come home yeah <laughs> so most people will be aware of these pigeons because they are of course homing pigeons and a little bit of science here they have a relatively large hippocampus, which is the part of the brain used in spatial no learning way. and memory. Yeah. So it's thought that this makes them better at remembering roots. I'll read a quick excerpt from a paper by Michael Shapiro and Eric Domian, where I got a lot of this information. Experiments suggest that pigeons rely on the position of the sun, direction and intensity of the geomagnetic field yeah. and olfactory cues when far away from home, switching to visual landmark navigation as they near the home lot. I'm sorry, they're four entirely different, super complicated wow. mechanisms all just like 
So when they're further away, they they use like lots of different cues. And then yeah. when they get close yeah. to home, they just look around and recognize where they are. Oh. <laughs> That's so That's rad. so cool. Reddit user Strange Eons 9 <laughs> says, nice. So <laughs> they're basically doves. Nobody talks shit on doves because they're white and clean looking and usually associated with peace and other wholesome ideas. Pigeons get such a bad rap. They have been a linchpin on the success of human society. Our symbiotic relationship with animals have helped humans succeed throughout history. Everyone knows the importance of beasts of burden, like cows, oxen, horses, mm. or a dog, and many other animals. I believe pigeons have earned the same respect. Mm. Yes. Reddit user Strange Eons 9 is right. Pigeons <laughs> have been As I've always said. <laughs> Pigeons have been interwoven with human success for thousands of years. If we go back to homing pigeons, for example, 5th century BC, Syria and Persia no. had networks no. of message no. carrying homing pigeons. No. They probably weren't homing pigeons as we know them now because they were bred hmm. very specifically for purpose like later. It was but the pigeons. First Twitter. <laughs> a network of birds. Terrible. In 1850, German journalist and founder of Reuters, Paul Reuter, used homing pigeons to carry news 120 kilometers <gasps> between Aachen and Brussels. So he began Reuters this way. Are you fucking kidding Whoa. me? I feel like that's the same importance as like, when you know like the first news sources like change mediums to like mm -hmm. the internet or like to telegram it's like this allowed him to make global news yeah wow i truly did not know that i wow. know isn't it amazing the world's first airmail stamps were issued for the great barrier pigeon gram service oh that's part of that scheme <sighs> i have to say this joke so i can make it leave my mind it's when they had the pigeon network in ancient syrian times and, and that was the first twitter and it was going great but then one of them started to develop this toxic musk and it killed a bunch of the pigeons and then the network fell apart anyway continue if you become a member of maximum fun today these are the kinds of jokes you can support with your donation <laughs> i thought you meant they would be relegated to the bonus zone they would they would be excised to the i want to say I want to say that wasn't my joke. That was someone on Discord <laughs> who gave me who gave me a comeback when Tom did a bad joke. That's I'm sorry, fantastic. what? <laughs> they gave you that. <laughs> they said, "Here, take this dagger and use it." When yeah, you yeah. I'm so sorry. I, was I it, don't have was your, your name your written down. It was in my channel. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> they put it in my the questions for Ella's channel. They were like, well, "This is what you can say when Tom does a bad joke." Hi everyone, Editor Tom here. The Discord user was SP8Z or Spates. <laughs> anyway, back to the episode. Okay, so most people will know how vital pigeons were during both world wars. The American Signal Pigeon Corps it consisted of 3,150 soldiers and 54,000 birds. Around oh my god so many birds yeah i thought you were gonna say 54 i wasn't expecting the yeah. rest of that to be said around 90 percent of the messages got through successfully wow oh my god yeah i know isn't that amazing so and, and during the world war ii so that there's an the animal version of the victoria cross which is the highest british honor you can receive um no in way. war is called the dickens <gasps> medal of the 52 awarded during world war ii 32 of them went to pigeons 
They're so good. They're so good. <laughs> you can see we've been keeping and breeding pigeons for so many purposes for thousands of years. And because of that, yeah. because they've lived so closely with humans, they thrive in human-filled spaces, which is mm. why there are so many in cities now. Mm -hmm. You guys will know this already, but for those who don't, there are wild pigeons like the rock doves that domestic pigeons are descended from or wood pigeons. Mm. Uh, but city pigeons are not wild pigeons. They are feral domestic pigeons, which came oh. probably from escaped homes and bred out of control. Feral domestic pigeons. Yes. They are very well adapted, but they are not wild. If you picked up a, an injured pigeon, yeah. it would go with you happily. It's not a wild animal. That's such a fascinating like distinction for an animal, animal to be. They are our fault and our responsibility. <laughs> and we should look after them better. Exactly. Um, Reddit user, I do believe we are naked, <laughs> said... <laughs> You, I think oh, pigeons I are adorable. They're not aggressive, noisy little bitches like seagulls. They're simply quiet, attentive, <laughs> and ultimately harmless. They never steal food. They just wait, hopefully, from nearby in case you drop any oh, crumbs. Stop. It's fun watching stop. them waddle through the grass in the morning, pecking optimistically at whatever they find. Oh. And I Hello. like that of all the plants and animal species Hello. we have harmed through building cities, pigeons have been able to flourish. <gasps> Isn't that I never nice? thought of <laughs> I take back my swearing. being optimistic for the day. Who is this? We are naked now? <laughs> I do believe this? we are naked. <laughs> I do believe we are naked. I do believe you are a poet. <laughs> <laughs> Every and, time oh, I God. see a pigeon now, I'm going to be like, it's an I've got to be optimistic for my day. If a pigeon has gotten up, I've got to get up too. I will say as Aww. while I was writing this topic, I did go out every day and feed pigeons. <laughs> Um, because I was thinking about them so much. <laughs> you're really, you're really, from every angle, I was already convinced, but then you're like, they are beautiful and they are smart and they are cool and we abandoned them, but they are still hopeful. And I'm like, there's so much happening. I really love them. Uh, now I'm getting teary over pigeons. What the it's hell? It's starting, it's, it's, don't, you, if you read the wrong Reddit post, we're all fucked. <laughs> we could be doomed to cry. Here, I just want to say that if you've never had a bird before, a pet bird and you think you want a parrot you don't you want a pigeon <laughs> this is i'm being really serious here they oh actually yeah that parrots are really hard uh birds to keep because they're not um domesticated mm, pigeons mm. are <laughs> they love people <laughs> like parrots but they're Aww. not destructive if you leave them alone like parrots are they make noise but they're not insanely loud like parrots they are loyal they are very clean when they aren't living in city grime mm -hmm. why don't people have more pet pigeons you're so, totally right yeah and they're also pretty smart they can pass the mirror test uh, which is where they can recognize themselves in a mirror which oh. even the even the smartest dog breeds can't do that that's very yeah it's like what like dolphins uh apes but a lot of birds can parrots can but they but yeah pigeons can too but that's wild i wonder if that's i mean that's a whole question for another yeah, time but that's why i, I just want to yeah. cl clarify how wild that is yeah a uh, quick fact baby pigeons are called squabs they are very ugly and i love them here's a picture oh, oh, oh i you're... love baby pigeons they're so ugly oh, they're it's so like good they're in a little 
LSS is a picture of a bunch of baby pigeons in like a, uh, a ceramic bowl. So they look like a bunch of fuzzy avocados with faces. Sometimes pigeons get, they stress lay eggs sometimes. So if you see a pigeon that's made like an absolutely Aww. pathetic little, like a, just a pile of sticks on the floor, <laughs> they've made it because they know they're about to stress lay an egg, which is why you get pigeons <laughs> laying eggs in really strange places sometimes. Oh my God. And that's why sometimes they're like, they're stereotypically thought of as laying really bad nests. It's just because they're stressed and they're about to lay an egg and they don't know what to do so they just same ella the way that you have organized this is like an omakase like sushi chef where you've you've sprinkled in little treats in your preparation (laughs) where it's like here's a fact and then here's a quick little thing i'm like what is happening (laughs) reddit user charles darwin 1809 said i will show you my (laughs) pigeons i'm sorry I will show you my <laughs> pigeons, which is the greatest treat, in my opinion, which can be offered to human beings. Wait, sorry. That wasn't a Reddit user. That was Charles Darwin. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. God damn it. Fuck. Darwin's biographer, Janet Brown, said Darwin loved his pigeons. He spent hours reading self-help manuals and books by breeders to make sure he was doing the right thing and visiting shows and exhibitions to see what was available. He found it very entertaining, hobnobbing with breeding experts, trying to exude an air of practical knowledge as he leaned over the cages of absurdly ruffled feathers. Are you fucking kidding me, The esoteric world of pigeon fanciers seemed to him delightfully fresh and curious. Because yes, Charles Darwin was an avid breeder of fancy pigeons. All of that requires so much work. Like at first I was like, oh, like, I can understand and appreciate it. But like, he is like a literal aficionado. He is in the community. Yeah. Like they're, He's fully ingrained. He's you know obsessed. what? There are probably, I wonder at the time how many people knew him more <laughs> as the yeah. great pigeon yeah. guy than as. So this was post, wow. this would have been post the origin of species. Oh, mm. interesting. Because back in episode 14, the main topic was on domesticating foxes, if you remember. Mm. We spoke yeah, very yeah, yeah. briefly about Darwin's book, The Variation of Animals and Plants Under Domestication, mm, mm. which came out in 1968, which was after the origin. It basically covers traits of many domesticated animals, but it very specifically has this very long and beautifully illustrated (laughs) section on pigeons. Darwin saw them as an ideal example of domestication, saying, I have selected this case because the materials are better than in any other, and one case fully described will in fact illustrate all others. Wow. Holy hell. (gasps) He's like, guys, you Trust me, you're going to look at these pigeons in the eye and you're going to be like, wow, yeah, that makes sense. That's I, it. I believe That's in it evolution right too. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I would love for him to get into pigeons late in life and be like, oh, that time was fucking wasted. None of that mattered. This is the real yeah. thing. Why did I waste so much time, time in the Galapagos when I could have been? Could have been with my pigeons. I would say, actually, when Darwin first went to the Galapagos, he didn't think that finches were that interesting. He liked pigeons more. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That that brings us more or less to the end. I I'll can't just fucking believe. Close I this can't up. Can't believe you. I love pigeons. I love fancy pigeons and homing pigeons and feral pigeons. I love them. Reddit user Lottie Chip loves them. They said, I love pigeons. I love their little eyes and their little paws when they walk around. I love how smart they are and how grateful they seem when I give them proper food. I once worked for an animal shelter and someone left a box of two adorable pigeon babies. I took them home in my sweatshirt so they could spend the night warm before they were sent to a wildlife rescue. I think I should have kept them. I think you should have two, Lottie. 
Author Wendell Levy, who I quoted at the start, loved pigeons. He wrote three books about them. Charles Darwin loved pigeons. He bred them for many, many years. I love pigeons and so should you. Thank you. <laughs> That's my thesis. <laughs> wow. I think wow. I think we just need to stop doing the podcast i think i think that's the peak <laughs> topic to be honest i don't think it gets any better than that i can't wait to rig the next best of election so this this wins all to all spots this has all to win <laughs> <laughs> guys hey Caroline, Car- Car- something's happening i think happening? put your phone away put your phone away it's, it's Someone's starting happened. it's starting oh my god Someone's it's starting going on. i'm so scared <laughs> it's like Christopher Nolan Nolan esque yeah. music, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know? Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's Rubik. You gotta commit to it now. It's Rubik Corner. Oh oh <laughs> I didn't say it was a good Christopher Nolan movie. Uh today's review comes from Christopher Nolan. <laughs> um, today's review comes from Know What to Expect on Apple Podcasts. Uh and they say Friend-shaped podcast. This (laughs) this podcast has everything I want in a podcast. Interesting information, fellow lovers of weird facts, outward support for minority communities, and amazing hosts. All of the hosts get so excited about the information, and their sense of humor is great. It feels like having an engaging conversation with friends. That's... It feels like a while since we've done one of these properly, and yeah, it's been been a real friend. It does feel like catching up. I'm yeah. feeling very, yeah, it's very friendshaped episode. I'm feeling joyful and full of friendship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any plugs or shout outs for this one? A big one, Tom. Yeah. Now you can see all of our information about joining our Discord, joining Maximum Fun, all our socials at letslearneverything.com. <laughs> Without the pod. The we are saving. So we finally got the domain for letslearneverything.com. It feels weird to say, honestly. Yeah. Um, we'll probably have to keep both because it's, we mentioned it so much in the old episodes, yeah. but they will redirect to the right ones. Um, but yeah, we, we've just saved everyone millions of clicks. All, all those <laughs> all those key presses when they were typing pod, we've saved. So many people were typing the So whole... many lives. Um, but you can find us all there. Talk about why you love pigeons. Share pigeon photos. Oh my goodness. Please come to the Discord. Chat about your fucking gender, baby. <laughs> Chat about um, Mars water. Chat about what you think Mars water will taste like. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> Thank you both so much. So this episode, we have learned that gender is really, really confusing. Researching it is even worse. We have <laughs> learned that <laughs> discovering water on Mars can still be exciting even though we've heard about it so many times and actually (laughs) i think we've learned that we have a much greater appreciation for the journey of discovering Mm. water on mars and of course we have learnt that pigeons are just they're just great little guys they're great little guys (laughs) great little guys Um, But also they're massively intelligent and they have been bred for lots of really, really cool things. Join us next time where we will learn about everything. Let's Learn Everything is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted and produced by Ella Hubber, Tom Lum and Caroline Roper with editing and music by the wonderful and talented Tom Lum.
baby. Is that the a kitty cat? Oh, is it see two the ears. Babies? Oh yeah. my god! I literally thought that was a shadow. I didn't realize it was a cat. <laughs> One baby. Is it? And it's is it water baby. flowing on Mars? There's two. <laughs> <laughs> Evidence of shadow on pillow. Retraction. <laughs> two cats on pillow. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Oh, Tom, you've made me laugh this episode. Isn't that good? <laughs> well, when you say it like that, it doesn't make it feel as good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned, audience supported